O Lord our God and our Father in heaven, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. You break in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. You make Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calf and strips the forest bare. And in your temple, everything says glory. We come this morning, our God, to wait upon your word and to pray that you would send the Holy Spirit down to enlighten the eyes of our heart, to pour upon us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of Christ, that what we know not you would teach us, what we have not you would grant us, what we cannot you would help us, and where we will not, O Lord, we pray that you would change us and repent us that you would search all of our hearts in this place this morning, O Lord, and that those who as yet do not know you, you might call them out of darkness into your marvelous light. And those of us who do know you, O Lord, that you would be pleased to restore our hearts in the pathways of your statutes for your namesake. Cause my name to diminish and decrease here and lift up the name of Christ that men and women and boys and girls might see none but Jesus only. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, if you would please turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 35. And as you turn there, let me say what a delight it is to be here with you at last this morning. My family and I are delighted to be here and to be worshiping with you on Reformation Sunday morning. I have my photograph taken out front by Calvin this morning, so Reformation Day is complete. Um, In our hearts are the highways to Columbia, those happy roads that promise to bring us home to you, our new congregation. We thank God for you. We're praying for you, and I know you're praying for us, and we feel the benefit of your prayers. Well, this morning, please, if you would, Let's read together from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, down to chapter 2, and we'll read to verse 17. Please listen carefully. This is the Word of God. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. And said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling, said to him, if you will. You can make me clean. Move with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest 
and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that, thus, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of God endures forever. So there was a leper a cripple, and a taxman. It kind of sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. But it's actually the beginning and the middle and the end of the gospel. The gospel that the Roman Catholic Church had largely lost in the Dark Ages of medieval Romanism, and the gospel that our Protestant reformers recovered and restored the gospel of Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Now to be sure, the Roman Catholic Church then and now used words like Christ and grace and faith and scripture and glory, but they leave out the all-important word alone. 
That's, that's Rome's fundamental error. It was their fundamental error then, and it's their fundamental error now. In their mind, and I was raised a Roman Catholic for some of my youth, but in their mind, Christ is simply not enough to save you. You must do something else. You must add something of your own, your faith, your repentance, your doing the sacraments, penance, and so forth, coming to the Lord's table, your baptism. You must do that or you'll not be saved. There's your contribution. And it's not just Roman Catholics who think that way. If you're honest, if I'm honest, I find that thinking creeping into my head also each day. It's like Luther, when he was asked, why do you preach the gospel every day? And he said, because I forget it every day. When you fall into that kind of thinking that I must do something, I I must feel sorry enough about my sins. I must repent wholeheartedly enough. I must believe earnestly enough. I must try hard enough. When you start thinking like that, right, the word enough begins to kind of materialize in front of you, and you ask yourself the question, how much is enough? And you begin to look at yourself, You look into yourself and you wonder, well, is my faith good enough to save me? Is my repentance sincere enough to to save me? And you look in when the gospel, there's a place for self-examination, but first and foremost, the gospel tells you to look out. Look out away from yourself. Look out at Christ, your Savior. That what he has done is enough all by himself. That when Christ alone is given to you by the grace alone of the Father and you reach up with the empty, dirty hands of faith. It's not you give your faith to God and God goes, is your faith good enough to save you? No, a weak faith brings a strong Christ. You don't give your faith to God. Faith is the empty, dirty hands that receive Christ and all of his benefits. And that's enough. As Dr. Thomas reminds you again and again, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. All you need is nothing this morning. But nothing is the one thing most men don't have. Do you have nothing but Christ this morning? I want to speak to you then about these three characters, the leper, the cripple, and the tax collector. And notice they come right in the middle of Christ's preaching ministry. Verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then verse 4, in, the, in his house, as people are pressing around him, in chapter 2, verse 4, sorry, chapter 2, verse 2, he was preaching the word to them. And then the very last word we read in verse 13, 17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We're talking about a preaching Savior this morning. A calling Savior. Christ is calling. I'm not the one doing the preaching here this morning. Christ is here. 
the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, he is speaking to you. He's calling out to you. And the question is, what kind of person, what kind of people is Christ preaching to? Who are the targets of his ministry? And there are three pictured here because Christ, he shows you, he doesn't just tell you. There's the leper, a dirty sinner. There is the cripple, a disabled sinner. And there's the tax collector, a despicable sinner. They're pictures of the kind of people Christ has come to save. People like you and people like me. Let's work our way through them and we'll spend a little bit more time on the leper first and then the rest. The leper, a leper came to him. He's a picture of what sin is and what sin does to you and to me. Sin leaves us dirty. It's captured in that word. It's a technical word, actually, in the Jewish religion. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That was the leper's problem. He was unclean, unworthy of living in community with clean people, unworthy of standing before the holy God. He was unclean. And it's important to realize that wasn't just the opinion of those first century Jews, right? Because they were, you know, we might think knuckle draggers. They didn't understand medicine and these various skin diseases that the Bible calls leprosy. And therefore, they kind of cast these people out and shut them off. No, this was the opinion and declaration of God. God himself said, they're unclean. Why, Why would God do that? Why would God do such a thing to such people? You've got to understand in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a picture book religion. It's a bit like a comic book, boys and girls. And God shows you. He doesn't just tell you. Like on the Day of Atonement, God shows you with those two goats the cost and the effects of atonement. The first goat has its neck cut, a graphic picture. As its blood pours out, God is showing you that someone must die if you are to live. Because the wages of sin is death. And in the second goat, as the priest puts his hand on the head of the goat and confesses the iniquities of the people over the goat, God is showing you a picture of imputation, which is a big word, but it means that all of the guilt of the people, all of their transgressions, all of their iniquities, all of their sins are passing through the priest, through his hand, onto the head of that goat. And that goat then becomes the sin bearer, the scapegoat. And he's led out into the wilderness to show the effects of forgiveness, the effects of atonement, led far away out into the wilderness, never to be seen of or heard again. How far away? As far as the east is from the west. God is showing you, not just telling you. And the leper, similarly, lepers and other people in the Old Testament, they were given as pictures, life-size pictures of what sin is and what sin does to people. It makes us unworthy of God's presence. If you like, the lepers got justice. They were treated as they ought to have been treated. They were treated as we all ought to be treated, cast out and driven out, because sin hath made lepers of us all. 
The rest of Israel, they lived, you might say, with the illusion of cleanliness, but the lepers got the reality of what you and I are and of what sin has done to you and to me, right? So the lepers are unclean. I want you to think about that for a second because it can go in one ear out the other. So I want you to imagine with me, boys and girls, young people, imagine you're that leper, right? And I don't know, some years ago, you are getting out of the shower in the morning and you feel your arm and there's a rough flaky piece of skin on your arm. You look at it and you tell yourself it's nothing, but you know better. Some weeks go by and it gets bigger, spreads. And your wife, Jenny, she says to you, what's that? And you go, oh, it's nothing. But you know, men, that never satisfies our wives. And she comes and looks. That's not nothing. You better go off to the priest. And so the next day, you walk down to the synagogue or the temple, the back door, there's a long line of sinners waiting to be examined by the priest. Out he comes with as much compassion as a vet examining the carcass of a dead sewer rat. Yeah, you're clean. Yeah, you're clean, you're okay, you can go. Yeah, you're clean, you can go. You're clean, you can go. And then he comes to you. He looks at your arm and he goes, no, you're dirty, out of my sight. And you return to your house It'll never be your home again. Think about it. You walk up to the front door and there's your wife, Jenny, standing. She's packed as much clothes as you can carry in three Walmart bags, some food. At her feet, there are your three little children holding on to her apron strings. Tabitha, your three-year-old, she runs out. Daddy, Daddy's home. Mummy grabs her arm. Oh, no. Don't touch Daddy. Daddy's dirty. You touch Daddy you'll become dirty. And off you walk to join your new family, to take up your new identity as a leper in the colony, unclean. Enough years go by for the disease to spread. Luke, the doctor, he tells you in Luke 5, this guy By the time he comes to Jesus, he is full of leprosy. It's covered him, disfigured him, destroyed him. And then he hears the report of a wandering rabbi, the carpenter's son, whose smiling eyes could make a blind man see, who touches deaf ears and the silence goes away. And when he speaks, Well, even the dead listen. And you feel something in your heart you haven't felt in years. Hope. And you get up and you go. Over the hills, down through the valleys, across the streams, through villages. The Pharisees, they have stones in their pocket. They did. They carried stones and they would throw them at you if you came within a stone's throw, just in case they touched you. And then you come to Capernaum and Christ, and there's crowds all around him. But when you're a leper, crowds are the last thing you worry about. They they part like the waters of the Red Sea. And you know Jesus because he's the only one not running away from you. And it's just you and him. 
the sinner and the Savior. And you fall on your knees, and then on your face. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's your concern. Why would he want to? Why would he want to, to come and clean, cleanse someone like me? And he's on his face, and he hears the footsteps. And then I think he hears the crowd gasp as Jesus stretches out his hand to touch him. Why do you do that? This wasn't easy for Christ to do. Boys and girls, how many of you like to touch cockroaches? Not too many. Even girls, even your gross brothers don't touch cockroaches. And the reason is, right, because they were about, I don't know, 13 months of age, and they were crawling across the living room floor, and they saw this kind of black, interesting buggy thing over against the kickboard, on its back, legs all curled up, and they began crawling over to investigate, and mummy saw, and mummy had, she didn't have a canary, she had an ostrich. Ah, don't touch it, it's a cockroach, it's dirty. And you saw in your mother's face the terror, and you heard in her voice the fear, and you thought, I'm never doing that again, right? <laughs> and you never, to this day, you've never touched a cockroach with your bare hands, because they're even a dead one, they're dirty. And Mary taught Jesus that. Don't touch dirty people, don't touch dirty things. You're the Messiah, you've got to stay clean. This is a Gethsemane moment for Jesus. as he's touching and reaching out his hand, and then the hand touches the head. And somewhere in the crowd, there's a wee boy. And he said, but mommy, you always told me, if you touch a leper, you become a leper. And that's the very point. Because Jesus didn't need to touch him, right? He cleans, he cleanses him with his word. He said, I am willing, and he said to him, be clean. And the leprosy left him. He didn't need to touch him, but he touched him to show not just his willingness to receive him, but his willingness to become him, to absorb all of the guilt, all of the shame of that man's leprosy onto himself. And the touch goes both ways as all of Christ's righteousness comes to that man. It's a picture of the gospel. And I preach to you today a Christ who's willing to touch dirty do you feel dirty this morning, some of you? Maybe there's a girl here, college student, I don't know. and You've given away what you can't get back. And you thought to yourself, well, everyone's doing it. It doesn't really matter. And then you did it. And you realized what you'd done. And maybe to medicate the shame you feel, you double down on that behavior, trying to make the conscience go away. And maybe you've succeeded but this morning, you're sitting here, not in the presence of an Irish preacher, but in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel. And you feel exposed and naked and ashamed before him. And Jesus says, come to me. Let me put my hand on you. Let me touch you. I'm willing to take all of the shame, all of the guilt of your sin onto myself. Maybe you're an older lady 
And many, many years ago, you did the same thing. But your sin was more productive. You fell pregnant. And your mom and dad and maybe your boyfriend, they, they sent you down to, the, to Planned Parenthood and you snuffed out the life of your baby. And you told yourself at the time, oh, it doesn't matter. It's only a ball of cells. But then later in life, you had your own children and those balls of cells become little babies with giggle and laugh and chuckle. And you realize more and more, every time you look at your children now, you realize, what have I done? And the shame of it gnaws at your soul like a ravenous rat. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is here. And he's willing to touch you. And to absorb the shame of that sin, the guilt of that sin. To make it his very own and to give you, to clothe you in his righteousness. I am willing be cleansed. We need to move on quickly. There's also the leper, the cripple, sorry. He's a picture too of what sin does to us. He's a picture not of sin's power to defile us. He's a picture of sin's power to disable us. Sin hath made lepers of us all. It's also made cripples. Jesus says, no man can come unto me unless the one who sent me drag him. It's a a powerful word in the Greek, drag, like dragging a sack full of, a net full of fish, wet, and across the sand, drag. No man can. Can is a word of ability. Sin has so crippled you and me that we can't come to Jesus unless the Father drag us. And the reason we can't come is because we won't come. And it's because we won't come that we can't come. That self, love of self controls us. That's what sin means. It means that we're controlled by the love of self and nothing we ever think, say, or do is ever done purely because we love God. And we're still back behind that self-centeredness that's natural to me and to you. There's an antagonism to God that only needs the slightest provocation to come to the surface. Like a, an atheist I once heard say, it's, it's not just that I don't believe in God, it's more than that, I, I, I hate him. And you just can't put that down. You just can't say, well, I'm going to stop hating God. I'm going to stop feeling resistant to God. Maybe some of you here, maybe some teenagers, and you're, you, you have a drug problem. You're here this morning because your parents drug you to church. And you're going to come back again tonight because your parents drug you to church again. And then there's family worship, and you just, oh, it's such a, oh I hate it. It's so bad. Don't you realize that the reason you hate coming to church is not because it's boring. The reason you hate coming to church is because when you come to church, you meet God. And meeting God is the last thing any of us want to do by nature. We're estranged from our, our creator, do you see? Sin has crippled us. It's made us the spiritual um, image of the cockroach when he's been stung. Sorry to go back to the roaches again. But the, the cockroach, when he's been stung by the Ampulex compressa, which is another name for the bejeweled cockroach wasp. It's a beautiful green wasp. And he hunts boys and girls, juicy cockroaches, big juicy ones. And when he sees a cockroach on the ground, he flies down as quick as a flash, and he stings them twice. First thing paralyzes his front legs, which are very powerful, like, like a T-Rex. 
and he can't move them. And the second sting goes in the back of his head. doesn't kill him. It removes his will to escape. And then the Ampulex compressor takes the cockroach. He's quite happy now. He follows the, the bejewel wasp to his lair, down into the ground. And there, this is, ladies, stop listening now. But there he lays eggs along the side of the cockroach. And they hatch little larvae and they burrow into the cockroach and they eat him alive from the inside out. And by a cruel kind of logic, they seem to know to start with the least important parts of the cockroach's innards to keep their crawl through McDonald's alive as long as possible. And that's what sin does. That's what the wrong kind of internet sites will do to you men. They'll eat you alive from the inside out. That's what alcohol will do to you. It can be a good servant, but it's a terrible master. Sin will eat you alive from the inside out. But Christ has the power to be of sin, the double cure. Here's this cripple, and he can't come. He's not even, he, he doesn't actually come to Christ. He is brought to Christ. The focus falls on the faith of his four friends, right? And Christ is there teaching in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and he hears the, a scratching noise, he looks up and there's dust falling down and then there's a hole and a bloody finger coming through the hole with a nail torn off and, and then the hole gets bigger and you can see a face and then two faces and then three faces and then four faces and the owner of the house is losing his mind. It might stop them, Jesus. He's wrecking my roof. And Jesus can't see the damage. He can only see faith. And the, the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then the bed's coming through and the man coming down, the spastic, quadriplegic. And everybody knew what his problem was. He couldn't walk. His legs were broken. Maybe his arms too. Cripple. But Jesus saw a deeper problem. He always does. Jesus sees straight through the facade. He always knows what's really going on in your life and in mine. What's Christ seeing in your heart today? Who are you serving? What sins threaten to enslave you and pull you under their, into their thrall and down into their lair to eat you alive? And Jesus, as this man comes down, he says the most amazing words, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees are livid. What, what do you mean? <laughs> your sins are forgiven you. Who can forgive sins but God? Of course, they're, they're half right and they're all wrong because they don't know who Jesus is. But which is easier, boys and girls, which is easier? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or pick up your bed and walk? What do you think? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because in a book in heaven right now, all, there's a, a book with your name on it and mine, and in that book are all of the sins you've ever committed thoughts, words, and deeds, all written down. And I say to you, your sins are forgiven. You can't see if my word has the power to do it. You can't see that record expunged, those sins deleted. I can say it, but you don't know. But if you're a, a cripple, 
if your legs are withered and atrophied and in spastic spasm, and I say to you, pick up your bed and walk, then you will know immediately whether I speak with the voice of God or just the words of a mere man. And Jesus says that you might know that I have the authority. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, pick up your bed and walk. And immediately, the voice of God, power comes, and those legs are alive and lithe and free, and the man stands up, and people are amazed. And Christ has the power. It's all the difference in the world, trying to fight against sin in your own stubbornness, trying to resist temptation, then looking to Christ and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm a slave. I, I can't help myself. I, I want to sin. I'm so maddened now by the deceitfulness in my mind that actually I want to sin. Lord Jesus, help me. And he has the power to be of sin, the double cure, and cleanse you from its guilt and power. Well, lastly and briefly, you have the tax man. Now, we're close enough to tax season, I think, to, to all agree that tax men, well, as Daffy Duck would say, they're despicable. If you work for the IRS, I'm really sorry. But it's even worse for Levi, right? Because the Jews despised him because he worked for the Roman invader. And not only did he work for them, he made himself rich off their backs, right? So where it worked was Rome would estimate the value of a tax region. Let's say it's 10 million shekels. Just make up a number. And the tax collector had to give the money up front. You pay Rome 10 million shekels. Then you go and you collect the money to pay yourself back. How does that work? Because if you, if you gather 10 million shekels, you give room 10 million shekels, where's the profit in that? That's where the commissions come in and the credit card fees. And Levi and his ilk were skilled at adding those little bits on and they made themselves wealthy off the backs of God's people and they were despised. You ask a Pharisee, what's wrong with the world? He'd say, tax collectors, hookers, and sinners. That's the problem. It was always tax collectors first. They're despicable. And Jesus walks up to Levi. And there he is, boys and girls, in his tax booth, counting his money. Nine shekels for room, or one shekel for me. Nine shekels for room, one shekel for me. And Christ walks up. I don't even think Levi looks up Counting his money. In, in the home, whenever the Capital One ad comes on TV and it says, what's in your wallet? Levi's children would joke. What's in dad's wallet? His heart. And the Pharisees are wondering, you know, what's Christ going to say? What's Christ going to do, right? Because he's despicable. And Jesus walks up to him. Two words. Follow me. And with those words, something happened in, in Matthew, in Levi's heart. The expulsive 
power of a new affection came bursting in. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, bound in sin and nature's night, but thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke, my dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And the Pharisees were horrified. Again, they're half right and they're all wrong. This man, they say, eats and drinks with sinners. Are you here this, this, this morning and you say, sin's made me dirty and it's made me disabled, but it's also made me despicable and I can't even look at myself the shame. I might look okay to you, you might say to me, Pastor Stewart, but if, if you were to preach to me, if you knew me, you wouldn't want to preach to me. And I say to you, if you knew me, you wouldn't want me to preach to you either. But I offer you a savior this morning. Some of you have known him for years and years and years, and some of you have never met with him before, but this man is willing to eat and drink with sinners. Despicable sinners. It's like what... Derek Hidner said in one of my favorite quotations about Eve in the garden, Eve, she took and she ate. How simple the act, how hard the undoing. God will taste poverty and death before take and eat ever again become verbs of salvation. This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. That's the cost of redemption. And Jesus was willing to pay it. I preach a savior to you with a warm heart and a willing hand who's willing to touch dirty sinners and to free disabled sinners and to welcome despicable sinners like me and like you. And I promise you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you come to him, Come to me, Jesus says, and I'll not cast you out. Not now, not ever. I'll be what my name says. They called me Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't he lovely? Isn't he sufficient? Isn't he enough? Look at him. And be ye saved, all you ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his mercies, his willingness to come and touch a leper, to become a leper, not just to bear our sins, but to become them upon the cross, that we might become his righteousness by the same logic as our sin goes to him. All of his limitless righteousness comes to us. We pray this morning, Father, if there be someone here who does not yet know him as Savior, you would unleash the hounds of heaven and the voice of Christ and command them to rise up and follow him. And we offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.